Hello, everyone, and welcome to Risky Business's coverage of Ossert's 2011 conference. I am Patrick Gray. This coverage of Ossert's 2011 conference and the uh, and the released audio is made possible by the generous support of Microsoft, uh, a tiny little company based out of Redmond in the United States. You may have heard of them. Big thanks to Microsoft for its support of Risky Business's 2011 Ossert coverage. Okay, so this podcast is a complete presentation by AP Nick's uh, Jeff Huston. Now, I'm not sure if it's Huston or Houston, actually. It's H-U-S-T-O-N. Anyway, according to the synopsis, this presentation will outline the role of addresses and routing and the potential attack vectors uh, involved and will also report on the progress to establish a secure framework for addresses and their use on the internet. Now, regular listeners to the Risky Business podcast would know that we've followed uh, AP Nick's work and papers in this area, and they have a habit of putting out some fairly interesting stuff. Uh, so this, you know, it's an interesting talk, and I hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Thanks to Jeff, too, for letting us put this up. How much of today's routing system is lies? I couldn't make the font any smaller. Um, what do we have here? This is the first page of lies in the routing system. So Intelsat, uh, Comindico, they're now gone. Uh, Sprintlink, oh, there's more. Uh, the Defence Military Networks in the US, UUNet, AAPT, they're out the front there somewhere. Um, Optus is in there right in the middle, announcing some networks. None of these networks should be advertised because nobody owns them. These are networks that don't exist in any registry system. They're all fake addresses. Oh, look, there's more. And this one I like, MobiNet, somewhere in uh, Sweden, I think, is advertising 222-8. It's not theirs. They don't own it. Why are they advertising it? I don't have any idea. Um, and what about AS numbers? <laughs> Just as bad. And more, and more, and more. That's how bad lying is in just one snapshot of the routing system on just one day. And that's just V4. Even in bright, shiny new V6, there's Arnet, the Australian Academic and Research Network, advertising crap addresses. Um, you guys don't look after the routing system. And because you don't look after the routing system, the entire network is incredibly vulnerable, even if every last piece of antivirus software on your machine worked, even if your firewalls are working perfectly, even if you're doing a fantastic job, which you aren't, even if you did, that won't help. Because if I can make routing work badly, I have you. I have you every time, and you can't stop it. Why? Um, because of all of that. Routing which is the promulgation of addressing information across the network, where addresses are, is actually gossip. You tell me everything you know, I'll tell you everything I know. But what if you tell me a lie? How do I know that you're lying? In routing, there's very few ways to detect the lie. And no ISPs ever look at what they advertise. Obviously, obviously, no ISP ever looks at what they advertise, because they advertise crap. So routing auditing, no one does, because no one gets paid for it. So oddly enough, inside all of this massive industry of security out there, inside all of the money that you guys spend every minute of the day on making your network secure, 
you don't spend one cent on one of the things that you absolutely rely on for everything else to work. Not one cent. And what you have left is a system that's phenomenally lousy. It's full of institutionalised lying, and we're used to it. And basically because the nasty bits are infrequent, the bits we hear about don't happen very often, no one's prepared to spend any money on it. So actually we tolerate the fact that you're living in an incredibly insecure environment. So no one cares. No one cares about routing integrity, no one cares about address integrity. It's not like the tragedy of the commons, isn't it? You sort of go, well, okay, this is terrible, Jeff. What am I going to do about it? Individually, none of you can do anything. There's nothing any single person can do that would make an ounce of difference to this. Because routing is something you all do in common. You pass rumours to each other. So if you said, right, I'm going to get rid of all the lies, even if you could figure out good from bad, Everyone else has also learnt the lie. You can't stop them. So, because no one can do anything, all of you guys do nothing. And all you're doing is trusting in the fact that everyone's well-intentioned, truly, and you have no defence whatsoever. And don't forget the attacks in routing are insidious and brilliant. I can make your router crash. I don't need to be near you. I don't need to be adjacent to you. And none of the rest of you can spot it, but I can make your router crash through routing. I can deliver a crap update that only you hear through routing. And you're trusting the fact that I'm a nice person. I'm not. And all the people around you aren't very nice either. It's just we're a bit lazy and we don't bother. So it's all trust and no defence. So we've kind of recognised that this is a problem. It's taken us a while, but yes, it really is a problem. So how do we get around it? Standard idea in security world is you look at the threat model and say, look, let's understand what the threat is and let's figure out how can we respond to this. Um, the first kind of area of threat and response is pretty simple. It's a standard man in the middle attack. Um, not all BGP peerings happen adjacent. Sometimes you peer with a router a long way away on the internet. And someone in the middle might intercept that traffic and basically mount an attack by silently taking the messages and perhaps altering them and then sending them on. And a classic kind of attack is where you kind of take one advertisement and inject something else in so that this guy thinks he was told by him about this network, but in actual fact, it's a fake advertisement. So what's the response? These days, if you're not swapping BGP passwords with each other and doing TCP MD5, in other words, making sure that your TCP sessions are, are protected by at least basic level security, uh, if you're not doing that, then you're dumb. You're not only dumb, you shouldn't be routing. Go and turn your router off and go and do something else with your life. Because if you're not doing that, you shouldn't be doing routing. Unfortunately, that applies to about two-thirds of the folk on the internet. They don't even bother doing basic password protection and TCP MD5. Would that it was better than MD5, but router vendors are still banging the rocks together with chisels. One of these days they will get a clue. Um, but that's not everything. Because some of the bad people don't sit in the middle. Some of the bad people attack your routers and own them. And once they own your router, they can start injecting information that you can't tell the difference between the lie and the falsehood because that router is now owned by a foreign, if you will, a hostile party. 
So I come along, get your router in AS666, and I start injecting something else, a new prefix. I want the traffic going to that address. And I only want to attack that router or that region of the net. I don't want this lie to be detected by the cops. So I mark this no export. Here's a friendly little lie. I just want to suck your traffic, right? No one else's. I'm over in Europe. I want the address of Westpac, thanks, because I want the fake website over there. Easy attack. How do you detect it? There's nothing wrong with that session. AS4 knows that it's peering with 666. But what it doesn't know is that that route is a lie. How do you detect that? It's really, really hard. Of course, the outcome of the lie is fantastically good because as soon as this happens, AS4 directs the traffic to that particular subnet the wrong way. And if all this guy does is inspect the traffic and then pass it on, it's not even noticed. No one can see outside of AS4 that I've just mounted a remarkably successful interception attack. I can see all the traffic going to that subnet and then because I hand it on, no one from the outside, no one on that subnet sees the difference. Incredibly quiet, incredibly silent and incredibly effective. Or if I just don't happen to like that person, I can just drop the traffic. Just get rid of it. Um, so how do you detect good and bad when you're a router? How do you take the evil packets and say, whoops, sorry, that's no good, and sort of differentiate them from the good packets? Um, remarkably difficult. And what it relies on, if you will, is understanding how the protocol works and then looking at how you can protect it. So this is an ASCII dump of a standard piece of protocol. Uh, it was captured from an, uh, a router um, start of January last year. This address here, 203.119.76.3, is being passed across from AS4773 through the cloud. So the kind of questions you need to ask when you see an update and you're a router are, who actually originated this information? Are they real or are they lying? And is the routing path I'm being offered true or a falsehood? And that kind of question that typically takes folk like you and me a few hours to answer, you would like your router to answer in about 10 or maybe 15 milliseconds. So can you automate the answers to those questions? So if you look at it, you know, is the route that's being advertised valid? Am I, was it handed out correctly? Is this a real address in the routing system? Uh, is that AS a real AS? And I gave you pages of false ASs. And was that AS even authorised, authorised to originate that route? Because in the Pakistan YouTube hijack, the problem was that AS17557 was not authorised to originate a route to YouTube. YouTube has no relationship with them and certainly no servers there. So somehow you have to figure out whether there's an authority going on from that prefix owner to that originating AS. And then you've actually got to look at the path to see if someone's mucking around with traffic. And you're trying to answer a whole bunch of paired questions. Does that AS really connect to that AS? Does this AS really connect to that AS? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what we'd like to do is automate that. What we'd like to do is to actually allow your router to have enough intelligence and enough capability to actually automate this whole issue of 
authenticating the route, authenticating the origin AS, and authenticating the binding. If you were here this morning, you would have heard the use of DNSSEC and an interesting application of private and public keys, where in DNS, they've actually put the key, the public key, directly into the DNS as a naked key. Has its pluses and minuses. Um, certainly it makes revocation and changes extremely hard. If you stuff up the keys in DNSSEC, it's remarkably difficult to get yourself back if you want to revoke them and change them remarkably hard because you don't have the wrappers of a certificate system to allow you to do revocation at a much faster and more direct level. Um, when we looked at this in the routing system, we decided not to go down the issue of naked keying and actually surround it with certificates. So what we wanted was a public key infrastructure as the base of this and actually put in verifiable mechanisms that actually allow you to talk about addresses. So over the last couple of years, the addressing folk have been working as hard, harder, than the DNS folk in trying to put up the basic instruments of security. And instead of going naked keys, we're now issuing certificates to address holders. So that if you have an address from APNIC, you can also get APNIC to issue a certificate. You hand APNIC via a secure mechanism your public key, and APNIC will actually issue a certificate that basically says the holder of that public key holds this particular IP address listed in the certificate signed by the private key of APNIC. Now, we're not saying you're a good person or you're a bad person. We don't care who you are. And we certainly don't care about your moral compass. But what we care about is that you uniquely hold those addresses and nobody else. Nobody else can claim that there are, those are their addresses and that they own them, they can route them, they can buy them, they can sell them. These certificates are meant to say, look, it's that party there, the owner of that particular public key that holds these addresses. So to do that, we've actually created a massive piece of infrastructure mirroring actually how addresses are circulated around the world. Addresses come from the Internet Assigned Numbers Authority, and there are five regional registries, Africa, Europe and the Middle East, North America, Asia Pacific, where we are, and uh, South America and the Caribbean. And inside APNIC, for example, we have a number of national registries in Japan or in China, and of course ISPs. Addresses come down through that food chain. So most folk in this room, if they've got addresses, would have got them from APNIC at some form or fashion. What we do is issue certificates. So corresponding with those allocation actions, we actually issue certificates that precisely describe the relationship that we have currently with those folk. So now you can see that there's a certificate issued by APNIC that says we gave this resource to that particular person and that's their key. And if they issue certificates, they issue resources further down, they can issue certificates as well. Um, you can even issue ent entity certificates to do signing. Whoopie do, wonderful stuff, you know, you all know how to do this. What can you do with certificates? Um, you can sign routing authorities. In other words, you can say, I'm the owner of this address, and I allow AS1221 to advertise it on my behalf. I give them permission. So I can set up routing authorities. Or I could use an internet route registry and sign what's in the route registry, which for the routing registry is a radical concept. Um, I could even put them inside BGP itself. 
Um, or I could issue, if I issue addresses to other folk, I can issue certificates down the chain as well. So in this case, in my little example, an ISP says, look, I permit AS65000 to originate a route, and I sign it. And now, if someone wants to check, they can check that the keys all match in that authority. And they can check if the certificate itself is valid. And they can check all the way back up to the IANA whether that address is currently in play down the path that it's proposed. In other words, what's going on now is that with this kind of mechanism, you can actually have some very strong statements that anybody can make. That that ISP, sorry, that ISP was authorised to do this. That this is a valid address, that it's the current holder of it, and that um, you've allowed it to be advertised. Actually, we've run out of v4 addresses. Anyone noticed? Uh, no. Um, some of you really want addresses, yes? And some of you, universities, have more than you need, yes? And some of you are going to have to buy and sell, yes? Yes. They're just numbers. How do you know if someone's offering you some cheap addresses down in the back alley after, after the session today, if they're real or not? Um, I'd suggest that you would really do well if you asked them to sign something, to actually use a certificate infrastructure to validate what's going on. Um, but we're not talking about buying and selling, are we? No, we're not. We're talking about routing. Um, so let's go back and talk about routing. So the way this works is, we're actually using a distributed repository for all of these attestations. So you don't need to put it in some central bank or anything. If you create a routing origination authority, put it in your local publication point, publish locally. And folk who are doing the routing job simply need to synchronise across all of these publication points regularly and gather up information about who's allowed to originate what prefix and bang it into a filter. Interestingly, you can get that code today. And interestingly, if you push hard against Cisco, you can get an experimental release. Oops. Uh, you can get a release of experimental code. They'll actually do the full thing right up to the router and will indeed perform filtering based on uh, routing origination authorities. We can build a secure routing system. And certainly, for many kinds of an attack, that works. Take this attack. If this is the legitimate holder of the address, and it permits AS3 to originate that route, even though this is a compromised router, that origination is invalid. There is no matching authority because there's no certificate for that prefix against that AS. So this guy here can now detect the lie readily in milliseconds. So that part of it works well. What about path validation? Because that's the other bit. Um, Path is tricky, because what you're trying to do with path is to actually validate when you receive a route that it came the way it was intended, that the route pr protocol object actually traversed it. Um, what we're actually going to do, and this sends sivers down some of the router manufacturers, and on the sales side sends down massive messages of glee, because you're going to need crypto hardware in your router, more cost, um, is to actually put in certificate signing, or at least signing, into the router itself. So that now what you do is you certify your routers and give them a key, and the router itself uses that key to forward sign updates as it passes them on. So now, when AS1 passes a route to AS2, it will actually create a little dummy artifact of the prefix, 
who it is, who it's passing it to, and sign it. When this route is further passed on, the next router in turn simply says, I'm AS2, I'm passing it to AS3, and signs it. So that at any point, anyone who receives an update can check the path against the keying information and check all of the keys. So that all of a sudden, BGP routers who are doing this can unchain that signature set and match it to the path. You can't lie in path with this. So all of a sudden, validation allows you to assure yourself that the actual prefix is real and the path is real. Um, most of you have been to lunch, yeah? Did you pay for it? <laughs> you did, didn't you? Because <laughs> there's no such thing as a free lunch and there's no such thing as lightweight security. Um, this adds an enormous burden to BGP. Um, you will need at least 10 gigs of memory in your routers, probably more, and you will need a crypto card. If you get a full routing update of 350,000 prefixes, your router will go into a CPU cycle from hell for some time. And if it's at the back end of enormously long AS paths, it will be out for some time while it does all this crypto. So nothing is free, and this is certainly not free. Enormous amounts of size and weight to the operation of BGP. It makes BGP incredibly slow and cumbersome. And all those folk who wanted 50 millisec convergence, if you want security, just remember this old adage, good, fast and cheap don't exist. It used to be pick any two. I think you've only got to pick one. Choose whichever you want, but the other two go. Um, like DNSSEC, you can't do it piecewise. Oddly enough, for this to really work, and this is the sort of the gigantic leap of faith, we've all got to do this. Because security systems can't tell you maybe. I can only tell you, I validated this. I did not validate this. What happens in DNSSEC if I strip out from all the information the fact that DNSSEC is enabled on that zone? So that the poor old receiver receives back a reply that sort of goes, it looks good, and there's no invalid DNSSEC information because it's gone. Same with BGP. If I strip out the security information, you can't tell anymore. So partial deployment's a bummer. And of course, like many of these hierarchical systems, you attack at the root of the hierarchy and things get really, really bad. So yes, it's incredibly brittle. So you've all spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on your favorite router vendor. Um, your router vendor is certainly laughing all the way to the bank, but are you? Is the gain greater than the pain? Hard to say. Um, the problem is we just can't make partial deployment work well. This whole idea in security systems that what's not proved good must be bad works well if everyone plays, because you're all good. Therefore, all the bad people are on the other side of the room. But if only some of you are playing and the rest of you aren't, what can I say about you? Good or bad? And stuff that doesn't validate, is it because they're not playing or they're truly evil? So... Quite frankly, this doesn't make it very easy. Partial deployment doesn't work very well. And this whole AS path validation is incredibly challenging. The first person, the first AS that implements this, it's a bit like the first person who implements V6. Waste of time. You're still talking to yourself. Even if you and your mate do it, it's still just you and your mate. 
For this to be effective, we all have to do this. And the problem is that if only some of us do it, uh, the cost is really high and the net benefit's really low. So in an open, competitive, deregulated industry, security is a nightmare. Good security is an incredible nightmare. And of course, all of this comes from the IANA. All of this comes from an organisation whose basic role is a role performed under contract to the US government. So when you have a concentration of trust and trust credentials right up the top there, you have a real problem in terms of the integrity of their operation and their ability to act fearlessly and independently of any single government, and of course their ability to withstand strong concerted attack from folk who aren't just amateurs. Because if everything depends on a single rooted trust point, you have an extraordinary concentration of vulnerability. So you go, okay, throw that out, let's do something else. Let's go into highly robust, highly resilient, secure trust framework. Yeah, right. You say good, you say good, you say bad, you say bad. What am I meant to do if I get multiple differing answers because I've got this highly robust mechanism that keeps on telling me different answers from different questions? This doesn't work very well either. So this kind of system appears to be stressing out the very limits of what secure infrastructure can actually do. Yes, we can build it, but will it work well? <sighs> That's prompted a lot of folk to actually look sideways and sort of take the judgment that in trying to add security to BGP, you've just put in the straw that may have broken its back, that this is really payload, um, sorry, over-engineering, and the models of deployment just simply aren't very practical. And despite all the money from DHS, and despite this maxim from NASA, with, with enough thrust, anything will fly, um, sometimes it just will crash on, on the pad. Um, so then that brings up other views of going, look, Maybe I can do this really cheaply. Maybe I can just look at the routing system and look for anomalies, look for those shooting stars in the sky and uh, do that with a lot less overhead. Or maybe you're just wasting your time because those kinds of systems are really just security pantomime. They give you the appearance of security, but basically they're a placebo. They're easily, uh, easily diverted, easily circumvented and quite frankly aren't worth the effort. So I'm afraid it's all or nothing. You can't make a routing mechanism cheaper, faster and more robust. You can make it robust, but it certainly won't be cheap and it certainly won't be fast. Um, you can make a routing system converge in 50 milliseconds, but quite frankly, you don't want the answers because they're crap. A fast routing system isn't accurate. And, you know, all of you want it cheap because that's the internet. And what you've got with a cheap internet is an internet that I, and you, can take down any time you want. Thank you. I should ask for questions, but in a security conference, I'm kind of scared that you're going to throw rocks at me. But uh, <laughs> recognising that they might be hostile, yes, I'll certainly answer some. Mark. Um, your, your last slide talked about chief security I don't want to cast any aspersions, but have you thought about the way that you as a person are actually part of the countermeasures and these kinds of attacks? Because you publish the CIDR report every week, and I reckon a lot of ISPs go through that to make sure that their AS is mentioned. You know, I kind of wonder, because I put up 10 slides of crap, 
And there are certainly folk who look at that report and look for themselves and go, yes, I'm on it, I better do something about it. But I tell you for a fact, Optus don't, Arnett don't, I'm wondering about Telstra. Um, some folk do, but a lot don't, because routing is not looked after. So, yes, trying to actually police some parts of this, some folk are very responsible and very good, but, you know, the list of folk who, who just simply let it lapse, who believe that their automated systems are perfect and their, you know, cheap systems, whatever they did, certainly can't go wrong, and what we end up with is this. You know, there's page after page every day of just, just routing crap. And none of us know, to take any particular example here, and let's just pick on Optus. Anyone from Optus here? Oh, oh oops. <laughs> take careful note. Uh, 203 112 1160 slash 24. It's not a real address. Nobody should be routing it. There is no record. Someone told you porkies. Take it out. Take out all these others as well. They're not real. And certainly, yes, you should look at this if you want to do the right thing. But that's kind of little bits of mitigation. The really big problem is that this goes unnoticed by and large. And none of us know if any of this stuff is benign neglect, fat finger syndrome, or a bloody good attack. And you kind of wonder about that one at the bottom. What's the slash eight doing there? Is this another spam attack? Is this one actually trying to capture the noise for their own reasons? Why the hell are MobyNet advertising a slash eight? Speaking of someone who's advertised slash eights over the last few months as part of APNIC's effort in detecting malicious um, stuff on the net, slash eights are incredibly informative. And the noise that comes to you if you pick apart and apply forensic tools is invaluable. So maybe these guys are actually trolling the dark parts of 222. I don't know. Yes? You said that the problem's effectively too hard to solve. But surely there are small parts of the problem which could be solved incrementally to give us incremental benefit. It's not as much to say, oh, well, it's not spending any money on anything. So the way this sort of piecemeal deployment incremental benefit works, oh, the question was, can you do this in a piecemeal way or do we all have to walk into the secure room at once? Are there incremental benefits? In this room, if you just look at the folks sitting one away from you, that's all, and you ignore everyone else, right? If you deploy secure systems and you get just your neighbours, then the small number of routes you exchange between yourselves you can protect, but the rest of the room doesn't benefit and you don't benefit, if you will, with those routes. So the issue with this is the first piece of deploying secure BGP relies on much bigger hardware, much more effort and so on, and the first piece of benefit is actually really quite small. You and your mates look good. But to get it all the way to Pakistan, to get it all the way to China, to get it through Mongolia, to get it through all of these other people is going to require a huge amount of effort and time. And that's, I suppose, where the major benefit comes, but that's the furthest distant in terms of, of prospect. So it's not an easy problem. Would that it were. No other questions? Oh, sorry.
Uh, the question was, I'm announcing 2400-12 in V6. Guilty, I am lying in the routing system too, and Arnett is my co-conspirator, for which I thank them. Um, and what I'm looking for is actually evidence of malware in V6. The thing about V6 is that you cannot address scan. You can't start at address one and go to two and go to three. Because even a slash 48 at a rate of a million addresses per second will take three times the life of the universe to scan, right? 36 billion years just on a slash 48. So I was actually looking to see what they are doing. There is some scant evidence of scanning based around address one, two, up to 100, and some of the favourite IEEE addresses. Look in your Mac table. Some slight evidence of that. All the rest? All the rest is actually leakage from BitTorrent. Because none of you guys do deep packet inspection in V6, and everyone is now running 6 to 4 in Teredo for their BitTorrent, hiding from you. And what I see when I advertise 2400 slash 12 is the backwash. So V6 had to be good for something. That's what it's good for at the moment. Thank you.